The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. It takes years sometimes for people to realize the impact and power the stories of near-death and other mystical experiences can have on the people tangentially touched by the mystery. As an ambulance EMT and hospital chaplain myself, I learned early on the healing power these stories can have in people's lives. Today's guest, Jeffrey O'Driscoll, served many years himself as an emergency room doc and was privileged to become part of Jeff Olson's tragic story, made famous in part by Olson's talks at IANS and his books, including Beyond Mile Marker 80 and I Knew Their Hearts. For listeners not familiar with Olson's story, I would recommend my interview with him on April 18th, 2016. Just go to NDE Radio and hit the Past Shows button to hear Jeff Olson's incredible story. Through his experiences with Olson and through his own mystical gifts as well, today's guest, Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll, has many mystical stories to share as well. Dr. Jeff has cared for patients in the emergency department of a level one trauma center for 25 years. He's seen people with nearly every imaginable illness or injury and some that were almost unimaginable. Dr. O'Driscoll has welcomed souls newly arriving into the sphere of existence and bid farewell to those who were leaving. Sometimes he encountered individuals who hovered between. Dr. O'Driscoll started writing more than 30 years ago while still a medical student. His first published paper delved into ancient scripture and Old Testament theology. And Dr. Jeff's most recent book, Not Yet, explores the tender and instructive connections between the mortal and spiritual realms. Through his many shared death experiences in the emergency department and through what he likes to call near-life experiences, Dr. Jeff offers insights into life, death, and the connections between this life and the next. Dr. Jeff, welcome to NDE Radio. Well, thank you, Lee. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. Uh, Jeff, for a long time uh, before you met uh, Tamara, Jeff Olson's late wife, you were experiencing encounters with deceased spirits. Uh, when did you first realize you had this unusual gift? Well, I think it came on somewhat gradually, so it's hard for me to place an exact date on it, but uh, I think think that my sensitivity began while I was still a child when my older brother was killed in a farm accident. And mm. I had several experiences through the years that made me feel that he was close and maybe communicating with me. And I think that is one of the things that sensitized me to such experiences. So I think well, I, I had it most of my life. I, I suspected, uh, you know, that your um, your brother had been with you through the writing of not yet and uh, I guess you you confirm it in the in the last chapter um, tell us about your experience with uh, Jeff Olson and and the spirit of his wife Jeff Olson was injured uh, 21 years ago this coming March when his he uh, was involved in a serious car crash with his wife his 17-month-old son, and uh, ultimately his leg. His 7-year-old son was uh, not injured 
too badly and was flown to our neighboring children's hospital. And Jeff, even before his body was extricated from his car, uh, was having a near-death experience that he shared with his deceased wife, Tamara. He was taken with very severe injuries to a local hospital and then uh, transported uh, via aeromedical transport to our trauma center in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I was on duty. I was in another place in the emergency department at the time, but we get an overhead page alerting us to when trauma patients are arriving, and we get a phone call from the transferring facility to notify us of their injuries and what to expect when they arrive. So there was a whole team of uh, people, the typical physician, trauma surgeon, ER doc, the nurses, everybody in the trauma room waiting for him when he arrived. And one of the other nurses that was in the trauma room at the time he arrived came and got me. I wasn't directly involved in his care, um, but she came and got me and drugged me down to the trauma room and told me I had to come down there because the patient's wife was there with him. Initially, I didn't understand what she was talking about, but she was persistent enough, and she and I had had spiritual conversations in the past. I finally realized what she was saying, so I went with her to the trauma suite. And as I entered the room, I saw an unconscious Jeff Olson, whose name I didn't know at that time because I'd never met him, mm-hmm. behind a wall of people who were trying to keep him alive. And above the gurney, I saw his wife uh, looking down on him and very aware of what was going on. And she expressed without words her profound appreciation for everybody that was involved and all that they were doing for her uh, husband. And she knew at that time, and I knew with her, because there was this common communication of knowledge that uh, Jeff would live uh, despite his horrible injuries, and that we would uh, eventually become good friends. Mm -hmm. So it was about a month later uh, that this same nurse insisted I go with her to Jeff's hospital room to meet him, to share our experience that we'd had with his deceased wife, Tamara. The nurse saw her as well. And uh, I was not uh, enthused about that at all. I didn't want to go. I don't like to talk about those things generally, but she drugged me to his room, and we shared that experience uh, with him. And that was the beginning of our 20-year friendship. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, you're, um, as you describe in your book, you're a, a Mormon with a long-standing interest in other religions. Uh, you mentioned that you learned Hebrew, read the Old Testament and, and New Testament several times, uh, although you say you never mastered Greek, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but also have an interest in the Quran and the Bhagavad Gita and Torah. And um, it's been my... Uh, uh, experience with uh, people who've been on this show that they f- often find religion gets in the way of explaining their spiritual experiences rather than aiding them. But in your book, I find that you've really uh, merged the two in a lot of ways. Your your faith and uh, the traditions of your faith seem to uh, help explain the uh, spiritual gifts you've got. I thought maybe you could talk a little about that. I'm much more inclined to see the similarities across the cultural and religious traditions and the differences between them. People argue a lot about the differences, and I tend to see the similarities. Um, 
I don't think of near-death experiences as religious experiences, but rather as spiritual experiences. And I've never found the spiritual experiences that I've had or the ones that are described to me to be in conflict with uh, my religious beliefs. Religion's a difficult thing. It's a prickly thing, and although it brings some people close together and gives them cause for hope, it also can be very divisive. And so my approach is to meet people where they are, to talk about their spiritual experiences and to accept them for what they are, uh, and go from there. When when Jeff and I first started visiting, I didn't know it at the time. He didn't tell me until years later, but I was one of the few people that listened to what he had to say and didn't question it. Some other people didn't like the experience he had because it conflicted with their beliefs, and they wanted him to change his experience as if that were possible somehow to conform to their belief system. So I think there's plenty of room for uh, spiritual experiences in most religions if people are just a tad more tolerant of uh, what might go on in the world. Hmm. There's... um, uh a steady stream I found, I worked 15 years as a chaplain in a trauma hospital myself, and uh, a steady stream of encounters with uh, the spiritual, not only people reporting, people who've coded reporting on near-death experiences they've had, but also the, um, just the, as, as you say in your book, the souls arriving and the souls leaving, and uh, that contact that you that I think you experienced more than I did, but certainly it happened to me often enough. Um, and uh, why do you think that? Uh, why do you think that these uh, events occur? Why are we um, given the the uh, gift to looking through the veil from time to time? Well, uh, I kind of describe it in a rather mechanical way, although I think it's a very spiritual thing. It helps me concretely to think of it in a mechanical way. I think about, as you mentioned, a veil between us and this spiritual realm that precludes us most of the time from seeing. But when spirits arrive in this uh, existence, they come through that veil, and when they leave, they go back through it uh, into another realm. And I think if we're spiritually in the proximity of where that's happening, Sometimes some of that light and glory from the other side spills through that veil onto us. And sometimes if that veil is held open long enough or wide enough, we can actually see into the other side and experience some of what's there before we're kind of back into mortality, if you will. Mm-hmm. I, I think it happens a lot in the ER just because of the prevalence of both birth and death in the emergency departments. uh, I think a lot of people are precluded from experiencing it because when somebody is born, we're so filled with joy and happiness and the things that ourselves from experiencing the spiritual. And the opposite end of the spectrum, when someone dies, we're often wracked with grief, and that precludes our spiritual sensitivities from experiencing those things. Mm. It's been my experience that. I'm most inclined to experience a spiritual presence, not when I'm frantically working to save uh, somebody's life, but when I walk into the room and somebody else is responsible for their care, and I can immerse myself in the spiritual rather than in the uh, physical and the medical. Yes, I found the same thing. Of course, as a chaplain, I didn't have to 
concern myself so much with uh, doing CPR or any of those uh, medical um, events so much as being present. And uh, just the being present is is the I think part of the key to uh, looking through the veil. But you in your book you also mention, and I thought this was interesting. The flesh is the veil. It's it's almost as if there were two um, two veils, one in the body, one out of the body, and then one that is between spirit and spirit. But uh, maybe you could um, uh, elaborate on why you said flesh is the veil. Well, that's a, that's an interesting one. I, there's a lot of uh, mystical writings that talk about the body and the uh, uh, inhibitions it uh, imposes upon the spirit. Uh, when we're clothed in this body, uh, I, I view us as eternal and spiritual beings, and we're here to have an experience. And when we're clothed in mortal flesh, it uh, clouds our memory. And we don't uh, we don't recall our our spiritual existence so well, and, it, and, it, and, and by so doing, it gives us an opportunity to be here and to learn in a different context. Uh, and it's in my experience that the moment people leave their body, those spiritual uh, limitations are removed. Uh, they can move freely. They can see clearly. They can communicate perfectly and uh, instantaneously. And I've actually stood next to a gurney on more than one occasion and seen a spirit leave the body and look back at the body with some fondness, but also some sense of liberation. And almost invariably, they're profoundly grateful for the assistance that was offered them there uh, by medical personnel, but they also feel liberated and anxious to move on to the next realm. So I think the body enables us, the mortal body that is, both enables us to learn and to experience, but it also limits our spiritual capacities in many ways and functions to cause us to forget and to have difficulty communicating with spiritual beings. And in that way, it serves as a veil. Right. <clears throat> the uh, uh, I, I've often thought that the um, brain, which is part of the flesh, of course, is a thing that limits our understanding of the eternal and um and i think you note in your book that once once you're free of your body that's when people say oh i had the answer to every question i've wondered about or i suddenly i understood i understood it i understood everything and uh of course i've heard people uh, report that when they come back and it's it's almost as if the brain is such a filter uh Separating this life from the eternal, that it's, it's the major blockage <laughs> in our, in our I agree being able you, to yeah. comprehend. Yeah. It's, uh. Um, and I think in a way it's a protective measure. Um, I think we came to this life with so much knowledge and experience that if that was not blocked from our consciousness, we'd be accountable for it and it would be much more than we could manage or handle. And so in a way the veil protects our spirit from all of that knowledge we had before we came here and allows us to learn bit by bit through mortality and to regain those memories when we're ready and to allow us to become accountable as we become more experienced. What are your thoughts uh, um, uh, on reincarnation? Reincarnation is something that some 
people warmly receive and other people feel that it's virtually anathema. And yet when I've spoken to those people that find it to be uh, doctrinally unsound or somehow spiritually disturbing to them, I find that they actually believe in it. They just use different words to describe it. For example, many people, uh, many Christians, uh, don't believe in reincarnation. But when you talk to them, they believe in a spiritual existence before they were born into this life, and they embrace a spiritual and a religious rebirth, uh, often in the form of baptism. And then when you talk to them about death, they believe in a resurrection where they'll, where they'll resurrect a body and live again, which is another new birth for them. And if you talk to them through these things, they believe in being reborn over and over into new ex- a new existence, but they call it something other than reincarnation. And so I don't know whether people come back to this earth in a new body or a new form, as some people that believe in reincarnation describe, or whether we move on to some other existence. But uh, I think most people, when you talk to them, believe in a rebirth uh, over and over again. Mm-hmm. What's the Mormon view on on reincarnation? Well, uh, I was describing somewhat the Mormon view there, and that uh, generally, doctrinally, they do not embrace reincarnation, but they believe in a spiritual birth which preceded uh, mortality. They believe in a physical birth when we come into this life. They believe in baptism, which is a spiritual rebirth. And they believe in the resurrection, which is another rebirth. So there's four right there. Uh, mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't believe that the humans come back to this earth and live as a different human being in that essence of reincarnation. But they do believe in being reborn into different phases of existence. Right. You mentioned baptism, and I wanted, that was a question I had for you too. You mentioned in the book, or you say in the book that baptism, you see baptism as a symbol of mortal enlightenment. And, um, and tell, talk a little about this, the symbolism and the power of baptism. Well, baptism, uh, is not unique, uh, again, to Christianity. For example, the Native Americans believe in a rebirth in the representation of the womb, which is the, the sweat lodge. Uh, the Hindus believe in washing in the sacred waters of the Ganges. Uh, a lot of other non-Christian religions believe in a rebirth or a baptism, sometimes by a different name. And when I was uh, contemplating in fact, I was in baptisms one day, and I saw an, an unnumbered concourse of souls, if you will, who were waiting for an opportunity to come into this realm of existence. And from a medical perspective, these people are being immersed in a physical body, which is in large measure water. And, uh, yes. and when they're in the water, their senses... Uh, are muted, their ability to move about is limited, it's it's a limited existence until somebody of authority and power that placed them there at their own request lifts them up again into a new realm where they can see clearly and discern, where they can hear uh, perfectly, where they can communicate and move about without limitation. And for me, I saw baptism as a representation of the, the entire mortal experience from before uh, birth right through mortal existence, through death, and and the next into the next life, and I saw baptism as a representation of that entire thing, and then I understood why it was so profound, 
even though it seems so simple. Now, you say in your book that, um, well, I assumed from your book that you hadn't had a near-death experience yourself, but you write uh, you've experienced virtually everything described in NDEs, uh, and you list fragments of a life review, forgiveness, visits with deceased loved ones, strangers from uh, beyond uh, asking you to do something for them, uh, discerning the thoughts of others, and um, encountering um, uh, the past and the future. So I, I was wondering if you could uh, tell us a couple of um, stories about um, uh, mystical experiences that you've had. On one occasion, I was uh, in a rural area in Utah looking at some hay fields and uh, just enjoying the beautiful uh, weather and scenery. And I suddenly saw myself uh, literally shaking the dust of this world and the encumbrances of this world from my person like you shake uh, drops of rain from your overcoat as you take it off. Um, and this, I suddenly was experiencing it myself and doing it myself and simultaneously standing a short distance away, observing it. I know that's not possible from a mortal perspective, but, but that's what happened. I was experiencing it and observing it as a third person at the same time. In the process of doing this, I passed through this veil. And when I was on the other side of this veil, I was in this lush landscape, walking barefoot through this beautiful field, and the, and, and the plants embraced my bare feet. And all I had on was a pair of uh, worn blue jeans and a button-down white collar shirt, and thankfully, no tie, and uh, I had this profound realization that I had nothing, that I wanted nothing, and that I missed nothing. And for me, it was a realization of the transitory nature of this existence and this the absurdity of this mania of acquiring things, of how people want to gather things together and own them and possess them, and I realized how how fruitless and misdirected that was. And then I was suddenly back in my 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 body and in my uh, in my real life, and I'd learned this profound lesson, and I hadn't died or had a near death experience or any such thing. And that's just one example of, of, of such a spiritual experience that uh, you were asking about. Mm. Is there something, uh, another thing that comes to mind? I'm sorry? Oh, I was wondering if there was a, uh, a, a another story like that that comes to mind that you could yes, tell us. I, I, I was sitting one day in my bedroom in the middle of the day. I was in perfectly good health, and my came to visit me. He came through the wall and stood in the air, uh, up, his head extended up above where the ceiling used to be, and the ceiling and the walls melted away, and there he stood. Mind you, my father is still alive. He was not dead. He was he, he, he lives uh, within 100 miles of me in a neighboring county, and when he came to me, he handed me this soft leather satchel, which I held on my lap, and I could feel it with my hands. And he began to describe the contents of the satchel, and I could see through it as he spoke to confirm what he was saying. There's a passport for your identification purpose. There's tokens for uh, 
conveyances, buses, uh, subways, planes, whatever. Uh, there's a map to help you uh, find your way, and I want you to come to me in the land of our ancestors, and I have a great gift for you there. And he exhorted me not to lose any of those things because I couldn't replace them with money. Um, and he made sure that I understood that the satchel and its contents were not the gift, but the gift was what he had to give me when I was there and I needed to make the journey. And I held that satchel in my hands until he left, and then it was gone. And I immediately understood this profound metaphor that uh, we are given gifts and directions and examples in our life of how to make this journey back to our eternal origin uh, where there's a great gift that's awaiting us there. And I understood all of this in a few moments in this experience where my father came to visit me, even though my father is alive and living today. Did you ever ask him if he was aware of that visit? I gave him my book when it came out uh, several weeks ago. I gave him a copy, and I know he's read it, but we haven't had a, a chance to sit down and talk about it yet. <laughs> and I'm interested to know how he's going to feel about my experience that involved him, because he hasn't yes. been aware of it until now. It, it may, if he's not aware of it, well, I mean, it could happen without in the present without his being aware of it, but it could also be a time travel thing where he's coming yes. in the future from the other side into this present to to uh, yes, give you that information. Good, uh, yes, that's a good thought that hadn't occurred to me before. I've had experiences like that. I remember being transported once to the scene of a car crash, not Jeff Olsen, a car crash, uh, where he died, and I was transported there uh, a year after the fact. And yet I was standing there experiencing this in some heavenly chronology that's impossible to mortals who live in a linear time progression. So, yeah, that's an interesting thought about my father. I hadn't, that hadn't occurred to me. Hmm. I do have another. You mentioned Jeff Olson again. At some point you said to him, when did you become a god? And uh, I wanted to know what motivated you to ask him that question and what you meant by it. Um, I'm not sure what motiva motivated me to ask the question other than something com compelled me to do so. Uh, Jeff uh, joked later, uh, after we knew each other better, about how I always ask him the exact right question at the exact right time. And he told me that his family teased him about having an imaginary friend who always had the perfect answer for him. And uh, sometimes they wanted him to quit talking to me. But uh, sometimes I'd pray or contemplate or meditate and uh, try to seek from eternity what it was I should share with him on any particular day. And then when we'd get together for lunch, we'd have a talk. And uh we were visiting one day, and he said he still remembers this. He was, we were in a restaurant. He was having a steak, and uh, I asked him that question, and he said it was the absolute perfect question at the perfect time. And so I have to credit uh, some other power than myself for having prompted me to ask it. But uh, he had a spiritual experience when he'd embraced his 17-month-old son who had died in the accident, and at the same moment that he was embracing his son, he felt embraced by a divine being of light, and he had an understanding that he was being not only embraced by the divine, but that he himself was divine, and that we all were. 
And he was struggling to con- to get his mind around the the notion of that because it seemed contradictory to his religious traditions. And so when I asked him, or when did you become a god, it struck a chord with him, and he answered and said, I've always been a god, uh, but he hadn't realized it until just recently when he'd had that experience uh, in his near-death experience. Mm-hmm. And so we had a long chat that day about it and about, uh, and about how we all are gods. We just don't realize it sometimes. Well, the Quakers teach that uh, we all have a spark of the divine in us, um, but I've always interpreted that to mean that we are all part of the same God. Um, but the way you ask the question describes us as individual gods. It's a it's a it's a little startling to think of it in those terms. It is kind of startling, but if you think about it. Uh, I, I grew up uh, in a Christian uh, background, uh, reading often the New Testament, and so I'm very familiar with New Testament stuff, and that was something that Jeff Olson and I shared, and so we often talked about doctrinal things in the context of a New Testament, although you could talk about it in the Torah, or the Bhagavad Gita, or, or, or the Quran, um, but in a New Testament context, think of one example. Uh, Christ described himself as the Son of God, and the Pharisees were so offended by that and accused him of blasphemy, and they were ready to stone him and kill Mm -hmm. him for claiming to be a Son of God. And his response to these people who wanted to kill him was, Is it not written in your law, I have said, ye are God? And he wasn't introducing some new Christian doctrine he was quoting ancient scripture from Psalms that they already accepted as being sacred, and he was using their own scripture to teach them this principle. He's saying, you are God. You want to accuse me of blasphemy for saying I'm a son of God, but you're God yourselves, and he's speaking to the people that want to kill him. Yes. Jeff, uh, fortunately, we have just run out of time for today. I would encourage people to get your book, Not Yet. They can get it through Amazon, can't they? That's correct. Not Yet. It's on Amazon. Terrific. My thanks to Dr. Jeffrey O'Driscoll for sharing the story of his spiritual adventures as an ER doctor. If you'd like to listen to this show again or any of our past shows, including the interview with Jeff Olson of April 18, 2016, just go to nderadio.org and click on the Past Shows button. And for more information on IANS, check out their website at IANDS.org. And join us again next Monday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.